2: Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Warren Buffett's one of my favorite investors. In large part, he comes across as kind of dull. He's incredibly smart, but he doesn't try to do stuff that he can't do. Let me stick with this for a second. One of the things that he comes... What I want you to do is to get over yourself. Trust me. I know you look good in that brand new lingerie. Trust me. I know you have more muscles than me at the gym. But get over yourself. Stop thinking there's a magical secret formula for making tons of money overnight. And discover about investing that you're not smarter than anyone. And that suddenly makes you a much better investor. Um, put your long-term investments in an index fund tied to the S&P 500. That's a good start. A Russell 2000 for small caps. Some sort of good mid-cap index. The small cap index will get you exposure to the United States. It doesn't really get you a lot of exposure into Europe and China and Asia and all where the boogeyman lives. Nah. For the record, Um, my boogeyman is inflation. That's the thing that scares me the most. I've got a lot of money right now, but if a car goes from costing in my lifetime $18,000 to $65,000, my money needs to make money. I want you to have some international exposure. I was talking to a woman yesterday who works for uh, a company as kind of like, The HR area, she's an owner of the company, but she's helping put together a pension plan. And her husband listens to a radio show on another station where the guy's paying a lot of money to be on. And he's an insurance guy. So he's trying to put them into an annuity pension plan. I'm like, are you crazy? Like, call Fidelity and Fidelity will put you into a pension plan, retirement plan for one one thousandth of that cost. But this guy, because he pays for a radio show, he's an infomercial, he wants to make as much bang for his buck as he can. And he may be a nice guy, but he's not very smart. He's trying too hard to make his commission. The best thing for people is to be a fiduciary and act in their best interest. An insurance person's not a fiduciary. A CFP's a fiduciary. Fiduciary is an important term. It means they're acting in your best interest. Again, just like... Uh, German automotive company sometimes uh, you get great mechanics sometimes you get bad mechanics this one's a bad one I'd be very very cautious of anyone that wants to put you into an annuity program anyone in fact I'd say flat-out say no um, so passive investing is better than active investing because it cuts down the costs there's two things that you can control, time and costs. Market's gonna go up or down in a given year with or without you. But you can keep your cost in that market lower and you can keep your time higher in that market and those two things will benefit you the most. And then you could be that cute, sexy lingerie. Then you could be that cut dude at the gym who gets hit on by 40-year-old women. Some of the things I've seen at the gym. Holy mackerel. I never knew the gym was so social. Holy mackerel. you got to learn to save. That's another thing that Warren Buffett taught me. He did a television special last year, and I think his quote was, I think the biggest mistake is not learning the habits of saving properly early. That was his quote. Because saving is a habit. Another mistake, he said, is trying to get rich quick. It's pretty easy to get well to do slowly. But it's not easy to get rich quick. I agree. After the show today, I'll probably head to the gym for a little bit, steam room, try to get the sweat going, do a little stairmaster, do a little cardio, do a little running, maybe a little rowing, a couple push-ups. Uh, some crunches. Like I like the variety of it. Um, but I don't try to like I don't hit the weights five days in a row. I'm going to beef up beefcake 3000. I'm going to eat you. Like, I don't try to lose 100 pounds in a week. You know, if you have bad health insurance or if you have insurance costs that are too high, whether it's your life insurance or health insurance, if you lose weight, like if you were 40 pounds overweight when you got the insurance because they sent that guy out to do the tests, um, if you've lost weight since then, you could have them come out and reweigh you and get a lower rate. Doesn't hurt to try. If a stock price falls, I want you to buy, not sell. And if you're asking me to sell, then you don't know what you own. I've got a friend who owns an energy company, and he sat there and watched it go from fifty-five dollars a share down to ten. I'm like, you buying more? He's now, I think I'm selling it. I'm like, I think I would have sold it at forty. Like I would have been a little bit tighter with that discipline. So, Buffett has lost a lot of money on any given day. In 2014, at the end of the year, Coca-Cola and IBM back-to-back came out with bad earnings reports. Bam! He lost a billion dollars on a Monday and a billion dollars on a Tuesday. Holy S-H-I, whoa! Buffett said he likes bear markets, and the more prices drop, the more he likes to buy. I love him! I love people with that mentality. You know what I often say about a bear and you? I would not fight a grizzly bear for you. I would not fight a polar bear for you. I would not fight a big brown bear for you. But those care bears, I'll kick their A-double-S. Like, I will take them down, those vicious, nasty little animals. I will protect you from care bears. If you told me that the market was going down 500 points next week, I would have bought those same businesses this week as I bought next week. I don't know how to tell if the market's going up or down, so says Buffett, but I do know how to pick reasonable businesses. And because of that, he will miss big upsides, but he will not get caught in huge downsides. Within reason, within reason. And also, keep in mind, this guy has the ability to do deals that you don't have, like he could lend money to a company and say, you know, I'm going to give you a billion dollars, but you're going to give me 5%, and if things go down, you're going to give me 10%. Like, whoa, you just pull that off? I think he did. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. You can always find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. I'd like to hear from you, 800-516-1220, It's 800-516-1220, to get your calls on the air. Microsoft showed off at its headquarters yesterday, 10 really cool things. A free upgrade to Windows 10, if you have Windows 7 or later. Holograms, a lot of gaming, a lot of portability of gaming. Developers, Microsoft talked about a lot about universal apps and more. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. In. Rob Black and your money, I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Measles at Disneyland leads to an outcry for vaccinating children. The measles outbreak in California that began at Disneyland prompted warnings about potential exposure at theme parks and airports and reawakened concerns that an anti-vaccination movement can help spread the move of, of many diseases. I do not understand people that do not get flu shots. I think you're potentially killing children and old people. I don't. I don't it doesn't do anything really with me. It's not. Okay. I guess the polio vaccine wasn't any good either. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls in the air. It's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls in the air. The S P five hundred's up fifteen. The Dow's up one sixteen, and the Nasdaq up forty one today. You're joining me now. CFP, Chad Bert. So you and I recently were talking about younger people having a lot of money in cash. Right. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, they don't trust the market. I was talking to an HR person recently, and she's like, yeah, my company does 8% match, and all I got to do is get these young people to sign something, and they just don't do it. Like, they're turning down 8% free money. Yep. And another thing she said is, in their 401k, they... They take ten percent out, but it all stays in cash. Yeah. I,
3: I think it's the ninety-nine one percent, you know, movement that we had that almost worked against the same people. Okay. Um, because of what happened on Wall Street, and I, you know, I, I believe some people should have been thrown in jail for what happened with the credit crisis.
2: Um, I think some people, and going even further back, uh, let's talk about people thrown in jail because I'm I'm good with that. Okay. Yeah. In, let's, in, who are we gonna throw in jail from the IRS in ninety-nine to two thousand one? <laughs> There was that excessive period where we, from 96 to 2000, we went straight up. Yeah. Crazy markets. hmm And then when it fell apart, you know, the people who were hurt were people who got in late. mm mm-hmm. um, But the people who hurt those people were, like, some CEOs of, like, that should never have been CEOs. Companies that should never have been publicly traded. That's mm-hmm. something that I wish our SEC could figure out. Yeah. Like, shouldn't there be a tougher requirement for going public? Nope. And remaining public? I mean, like,
3: can you justify... No revenue and have a huge multiple
2: on your stock? If you've got no earnings and you've got little revenue, I, th- like, I think there should be some warning signs yeah. on the stock ticker or something. So at least people see, like, if this company continues this, they'll run out of money in three years. Right. Yeah. Which is one of those tools that you and I like. Barron's always does an annual edition of companies that are burning through cash. Yeah, that's a great one, and it's a hundred companies. It's like I don't want to own any of those hundred companies. Let's <laughs> let's take a look looksy. That's right. Um, people going to jail.
3: It's it's tough. Yeah, they could be. So the the ninety nine percent one percent. You know the all those protests, everything else. Those same people. I mean, are you ever going to trust Wall Street again? They're not going to trust somebody sitting in a room with a suit and tie anymore. So that's why you have all of these technology based money management firms showing up because people would rather trust technology than they'll trust some guy in a suit. Um and I get it. I get it. They they've seen their parents go through hell yeah. in terms of two bubbles, putting off the retirement, college education soaring. And they seem like they don't trust Wall Street yet if we look past the 100 years, you know, from today, the market's averaged over 11%. Yeah.
2: There's even, no better return even despite these bubbles and it's and people, statistically there's no safer thing to do. Yeah.
3: You know, and people look at, especially in the Bay Area, it's an issue because then people trust real estate more. I was talking to a person that they moved out of their house. Um, they've got, you know, you, if, as long as you've lived out it for two out of the last five years, you can sell it and exclude your $500,000 if you're married of gains. So they're up against that time frame. They've got to put it up for sale now to sell it because that $500,000 exclusion goes away. And it's like, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I want to sell it. I'm getting $50,000 um, net rental income on that. And when I did the math on the equity on this Palo Alto home, it was a 2% income. Yeah. It seems like a big check coming in the door. Sure. But you could double that in in uh, a balanced portfolio in terms of income. And so it's not that great a cash flow. So people trust kind of the wrong things right now. Um, so we've we got to get these kids to just learn how to, number one, be able to invest on their own. Yeah. Be able to use technology so they can see it and trust it. Um and it's something that I've become kind of passionate about. We're working on a program just for that at our company, because we've always managed half a million dollars and above. And um, I'm looking out, you know, these are our clients in 10, 15 years. So let's give them a tool um, so they can do it on their own and do it kind of with technology. So they get more comfortable with the market again, instead of just think about the the scumbags that sold collateralized debt obligations and then sh- sold insurance on top of it. It is really unfortunate that, you know, we, did go through the quote unquote two bubbles and what were those two bubbles just making sure I got the two you get the bubbles. tech correction you get the okay. credit crisis
1: okay
3: the credit uh, crisis uh, pulled down real estate and during the tech correction um you know in 99 2000 2001 my small cap value funds my reits they were doing great real yeah. estate was doing great credit crisis pulled everything down everything fell off a cliff asset allocation didn't technically work because um there were so much redemptions in the world of hedge funds and all these leveraged assets that hedge funds even had to sell off their gold and oil, the things that tend to do well during a crisis, in order to meet redemptions. Uh, but it created some major value, like a lot of bond funds, like higher-yield bond funds, dropped 20%, uh, You know, We jumped on some of that stuff in 2009
2: and had double-digit type returns in things like bond funds. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. Um, European Union. Europe's massive quantitative easing scheme just arrived, and it looks like it's going to be around through 2016. Uh, Expanded asset purchases, also known as quantitative easing. $60 billion of assets per month. That combines with purchases of covered bonds and asset-backed securities. They were already doing with investment-grade government debt. This is more than people expected. Greek debt isn't investment-grade, but the statement says there's some additional eligibility criteria for countries currently in bailout programs. So Greece's bonds may still be eligible. Uh, Draghi says a large majority of the ECB board was in favor of the QE package, enough that it didn't take a vote. But it does not sound unanimous, and I'm guessing that Europe was not thrilled, uh, Germany was not thrilled about it. There was a leak that came out over the last couple of weeks, and uh, we knew this one was coming as far as uh, easing goes, yet it was still met with by the stock market positively. That's nice. Um, This was a program that's kind of already working, Um, it's not something to get super, you know sad about, like, the sad news is their economies aren't working well, and thus their banking systems are trying to, their government banking systems are trying to figure out what can we do, because our politicians aren't coming up with policy to do it enough. Like, for instance, if we wanted to stimulate our economy in the United States, gas has fallen well over a dollar a gallon. We could raise a, the gasoline tax, our lawmakers could raise the gasoline tax, 25 cents per gallon. Uh, you still get a discount from where you were, the, you know, 52 weeks ago, and we could take that money and we can build roads or do a lot of fun things with it. That's policy. But when the bankers say that well, we're just going to make money cheap, and then maybe states will borrow money, and maybe individuals will borrow money, maybe corporations will borrow money, there's not a lot going on. I'm Rob Black. Find me online at robblack.com. To water, Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for being patient. Had a little technical difficulties this morning. Joining me now, Chris Siaccia from TheStreet.com. How are you, Chris? Good, Rob. How are you doing? Good. It's kind of an exciting time right now. Lots going on in the world of technology.
4: Yeah, uh, absolutely. We've seen some innovation um, from Microsoft yesterday. It seems like, you know, there's a renewed spark and interest in Microsoft since... Uh, Sadia Nadella took over for Steve Ballmer, so yeah, it's a pretty exciting time right now. What did you did you see some of the
2: videos released on the hologram?
4: I did, uh, and I got a chance to watch the live stream. You know, it, you know, and the streets published a, a couple stories on the hololens. You know, already this morning, it's really you know something that's it almost kind of seems like you know Tony Stark like an Iron Man. You know, it's kind of taking augmented reality you know, from something that, that's that been talked about in science fiction and and research and development labs, and now it's kind of bringing it to the forefront, you know, something that actually you could see consumers using, you know, in a, in a large way within the next, you know, 18 to 24 months.
2: It's pretty surreal because I'm so used to, you know, the world of Windows being a flat screen in front of me, and some of the demonstrations I saw streamed were, they were legit. They weren't... They weren't ready for prime time, it looked like, but they looked pretty close.
4: Yeah, I mean, augmented reality is going to be the next big thing, you know, over the next, like I said, 18 to 24 months. I don't expect, you know, all, all the bugs to be worked out any time before then. Like you said, it's probably not ready for prime time just yet, but it is something that, you know, gets people like myself in the media and investors and and tech, you know, enthusiasts excited because... It just opens up this whole new wave of computing and how we interact with gadgets and software. It's really, really incredibly exciting. And this is probably the first time in a long time that I've you know, been excited about what Microsoft has to offer.
2: That's well said. Now, this has been a big week for technology. I think it started the week kind of with maybe Netflix. And there was a lot of expectations on what they would and or wouldn't do. And they did good. They did real good. They they surprised. And they also said, you know, we're going to start wrapping up our international expansion in two or three years from now. And that means costs will come down. And Wall Street kind of loved that.
4: Yeah. Wall Street set the shares up uh, 18% following the earnings um, on Tuesday night. You know, they were able to effectively use their marketing costs, which went up about $80 million year over year in the fourth quarter. So, you know, a little over $200 million to, to get 4 million streaming subscribers around the world, you know, which was much higher than uh, was anticipated. Netflix trades on, on the streaming num, uh, subscriber numbers. So any kind of upside surprise there is generally seen as good for the stock. And you're right, the fact that they're going to start to wrap up their international expansion in the next two years, you know, say for whatever they do in China is you know is only a positive because that eventually will start to flow to the bottom line they're still not uh, you know really giving a whole lot of detail on how profitable uh markets outside the u s and Canada, you know which are the two biggest markets uh, domestically you know are but you know it seems like there are pockets of strength there. They mentioned that Latin America is a little harder than they expected, but there's you know an enormous opportunity for them there. So it seems like assuming that they can continue to to show strength, you know, in the markets that they're already in and, you know, if that translates to, you know, the other markets that they're going to expand to, you know, then we could see costs come down and then you really see the earnings power of this company, which is why the stock is over $400 right now because Wall Street's valuing it on, you know, 2016 and 2017 numbers when we're just starting to get into 2015.
2: Now, this is content that you typically write about and have your writers at the street uh, churn out. So this is kind of very conversational, but you do pretty long form articles and get into some of the stories. One of the ones that was interesting this week was SpaceX. Google and was it Fidelity? No it wasn't Fidelity. Google. No, it was Fidelity. Oh, it was Fidelity, um, jumping in and, and throwing some money their way and instantly giving SpaceX a market cap bigger than Uber's potentially. Um, to talk a little bit about SpaceX and satellites and going to Mars and setting up Internet in the outer space, like, it's pretty cool stuff.
4: Yeah, it, it seems like, you know, it, t- I've seen some people t- say, you know, tech is back in 2015, not that it went anywhere in 2014, but the last few months of the year were kind of doldrumy, and now with this news, the SpaceX news, coupled with, you know, the earnings from Netflix, and, uh, you know, the stuff from Microsoft earlier this week, you know, it seems like tech is back. And what we could see from Google partnering with Fidelity to invest, you know, around a billion dollars into SpaceX potentially changes how we think about Internet because we, we think about Internet connecting people on Earth. Well, what happens, you know, 50 years down the line when or when or if, you know, we start to colonize Mars or the moon, or whatever Elon Musk decides to dream up tomorrow, uh, you know, then we have people having internet on you know, satellites, or you know, other planets, I mean, that's just mind-blowing stuff, and you know, I don't put it past Elon Musk to do it, because he really is, you know, the real-life Tony Sark, and the man has created pay- the man helped create PayPal, and went into two entirely unrelated industries, electric vehicles, battery storage, and space rockets. I mean, that's just unbelievable. So the fact that he's come out and said he would like to put Internet in outer space, I mean, that's just something I don't put it past him concerning his past.
2: Now, with that said, I'm going to steal the Tony Stark line from you, because I was using kind of like the modern era jobs, but he's also said one or two things that have been kind of crazy. Did you hear that he thought he's funding a project to stop robots from killing humans.
4: Yeah, I mean this whole uh his whole kick against artificial intelligence it has been kind of interesting to see how it plays out because a lot of people seem to be against him in his mindset, but he's been incredibly adamant that AI is probably, you know, the demise of mankind and we just don't realize it yet. So it's it's interesting to see that he's putting his money where his mouth is, you know, when it comes to this. You know, I'm not entirely sure which side I'm on just yet. I think it needs to play out a little bit more. There are a lot of smart people on both sides and I, I don't fancy myself that smart that I can ultimately make a decision on it just yet. But it is interesting to see high profile people like Musk on one side and someone like a Mark Andreessen on, on the complete opposite side. So it's it's interesting to see how artificial intelligence impacts not only our daily lives, but, you know, the world, you know, in the next 20 to 50 years as
2: well. Anything else that you're working on right now, Chris Yachia from thestreet.com, that you think is important for us to be paying attention to?
4: I think the big thing, you know, obviously coming up is Apple earnings next week. And I think expectations are extraordinarily high, um, especially as it relates to the iPhone. The iPhone had an uh, unbelievable holiday quarter. I've seen some analysts throw out the 70 million number for units sold. So I would be, that's probably the key item that I would look for to set the tone for the markets and technology next week is what Apple does. You know, Apple historically doesn't trade that well when it comes to earnings. But any kind, uh, you know, there's a lot of read through for other companies and its suppliers, and just general market uh, sentiment as well. So, if, you know, when you see some kind of 70 million figure for the iPhone number, you could expect, you know, sentiment will continue to increase around Apple. And if they mention anything about the watch on the conference call, then I suspect that investors will start to eat that up just as as much as the iPhone, and potentially even more. Thanks for joining
2: us, and thanks for being patient with our technical difficulties this morning. That was all on my fault, so thanks for being patient. Chris Siaccia from TheStreet.com, tech editor, always a good guest. We talked a little SpaceX and Google. Google wants to set up an internet of satellites that can supply you know, internet feeds around the world. Uh, what do they have to gain from it? Search. There's talks now that Google wants to even go as far as to start offering cell phone service maybe at a cheaper price so that they can, you know, say, look, Verizon, we'll do the servicing for you. In this case, Sprint. Look, Sprint, we'll do the servicing for you. Let's make a deal. You let us do the search on all your phones that you sell. Build it in or we'll do the back end management of it. It's going to be interesting to watch the next couple of years because I get a sense that a lot of these guys are all starting to get a little bit nervous. Google is dominant on the desktop. Facebook is dominant on the mobile phone. Apple's dominant on hardware and the operating system right now, but doesn't it feel like everyone's made some catch-up strokes on them? At some point in time, you're going to say $600 phone or $6 phone. A lot of Chinese companies think you're going to say $6 phone. Anyway, the tech stories are big and bold. It's going to be a fun year, 2015, as far as some IPOs coming out. Uber is probably going to be the biggest one of the year. And uh, if you don't know Uber, get to know it because it's part of the landscape that is quickly changing at this point in time the services in our economy. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. talking to money Sometimes brands just change and they just get old, and sometimes they're not able to make that transition. That's one of the biggest things you have to worry about when you're investing in individual stocks. Like Ambercrombi and Fitch is a good example of that. When I was a teenager, they were just kind of starting to make noise. But ten years later, they were pretty dominant. They had basically catalogs filled with boys and girls that some people would call pornographic, the way they were touching each other. It was sealed in plastic. You had to be 18 years old. Um, It was preppy, well-made, expensive clothes, worn low and tight. Now trying to keep up with that kind of appearance when people change. You know, just look at your childhood. Uh, McDonald's to me was, McDonald's or Hardee's or any sort of fast food, if they had some sort of movie promotion, like, come get a toy and get a, a glass that says Scooby-Doo on it. Get the Scooby-Doo Collector's Edition. I was like, Mom, we gotta get the Scooby-Doo Collector's Edition. Yeah. Right? Man. I I was so jealous. Was By the time, you know, like, Ten years later, kids, eh, still a little bit of that. Ten years after that, not so much. You know, we are parenting our children differently than we were parenting. Um, I've got a friend who's got three daughters. And when he watches Sports Center, he, he videotapes it. He DVRs it, and then he skips the commercial. The commercials are incredibly violent. He wants to watch his sports, but he can't watch... You can't have the girls in the room watching the commercials with them. I mean, we are micromanaging our children, good and bad. Um, and kids today, their tastes are like, you know what? I'd rather have fresh. I'd rather have quality. Same thing with Abercrombie and Fitch. Like, I think they're a little too old for to be considering investing at this point in time. Abercrombie is a $4 billion company with three brands and about 1,000 stores in 19 countries. Typically, it's for college-age men and women. Hollister is for 12- to 18-year-olds. Abercrombie is a little... Eh, maybe a little less than that. The Abercrombie look across brands remains almost unchanged since the mid-1990s until recently. Now they're starting to put, like, big Moose logos. And, you know, the style is the essence of privilege and casual luxury. You just gotta be acknowledging and and see it in your your head that things change. So be cautious with that. That's the biggest mistake you can make as an investor. You know, uh, Microsoft in the 90s thinking that in the 2010 it's gonna be the same as the company was in the 90s. It's not. Google is a great company and they seem to be losing a little bit of edge as far as respect goes. Now again, they make a ton of money on search. I search a lot less than I used to. And I'm not against searching with Bing. I think Bing's a better search for me. Uh, and I used to search a lot for like, oh, I'm gonna get this microphone, I'm gonna go Google it. Don't do that anymore, now I just go to Amazon and, or someone who sells microphones, maybe like a Sweetwater. Take a look at the reviews, and if 500 people gave it four and a half stars or higher, that's the winner. Ding, 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 ding. You know, I'll read through the negative ones more so than the positive ones, but people are changing the way they operate. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. In Switzerland, Davos, big meeting, lots of billionaires hanging out. It's going to be a big clam bake, but... In America, we got two brands that are reporting earnings next week, um, actually in the next 24 hours Starbucks and, and McDonald's. Uh, and it's going to immediately teach us a lot about the world. The two have nearly 30,000 stores in the United States generating $20 billion. It's not including the rest of the world. For most of the part, these locations are located either just off major highways or in malls, right? not Davos, Switzerland, where the mountains are capped with snow. Howard Schultz of Starbucks is a retail genius who's been figuring out how to overcome falling mall traffic since before many people had any idea there was a problem. Malls aren't crowded anymore. People shop online more and more. 2015 is going to be the year where you order and it's delivered the same day. For companies, not Amazon, not just Amazon, but companies like Best Buy and Macy's. So Schultz spent years actually closing locations because they didn't meet his internal quality standard. He's a pretty straight shooter, and his company sells extremely discretionary products. Coffee is addictive, which is fantastic to invest in. But you don't need six bucks to get your fix. But people line up at Starbucks, and it's a hate-love kind of relationship. Um, I think it's a stock you can own for the long term, and I think it should be on your shopping list in case there's ever a down in the market. Do you have to own Sonic or Jack in the Box or Wendy's? They're all gaining share on McDonald's. They all could be good plays. But to me, I'd rather own Starbucks. Now, McDonald's is claiming that all the health fads and fancy consumers are, are fads. And I think they're wrong. Sonic sells hot dogs and tater tots. The country didn't suddenly get too healthy for McDonald's. There's something wrong with the company. Not just to Chipotle doesn't love a good tater tot by the way seriously Wait. you can find me online at robblack.com that's robblack.com find me on twitter robblackshow youtube robblackshow i'll talk to you soon Rob Black.